Welcome to the Dog Trainers Podcast. A podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. Hey everybody, welcome back and thank you so much for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast. Mariano Alvarez here, Brent Labrada, and a very special guest, so we're going to dive in and make this quick. We want to give a shout out to people who have been showing us love online. Hello, Jackie Ruiz, James Wickert, Sydney Dog Trainer, Donnie and Stacy Ertz, co, co-op canine, sorry, co underscore op. Thank you guys so, so much. Be sure to be on the lookout for some upcoming guests. We've got Tom Davis coming back on, and we are still looking, you guys, for an R-plus trainer who is pro-banning of tools. We would love to have that conversation, but we need your help. We've been reaching out. It's a little harder than you would think trying to get somebody on. But with that, over to you, Brent. What's up, guys? It's Brent with the Dog Trainers Podcast. Today, we have a very awesome guest all the way from Belgium. Uh, you guys might follow him on Instagram. It's STSK9. Uh, you guys can also find him at STSK9.com. He is a triple certified police dog trainer. He has many technically skilled online courses on his website. Uh, and with no further ado, we'd like to introduce, interview Nino. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm good. Now I don't want to. I don't want to be rude because I don't want to mess up your last name. So I didn't say it on purpose. Can you say it for the audience? Of course. Do you want me to roll the R? It'd be Drowa. Yeah, please make it. Yeah, make it as as, Dro- as oh, wow, cultural as possible. Yeah. Drowart. Yeah. So Nino Dwarart. Well, we really appreciate you being on, man. We got a Thank long you. list of questions for you. We want to get to know about you, uh, Mariano. Right. You mind? You mind telling people uh, how this interview got started? Because I think this is a long time coming. This interview. Yes. So, let me start by saying that I was watching just the other day your interview with Robert Cabral. We've had Robert on the show as well. He's a really fun guy to talk to, and he's talented as an interviewer. He does a really good job bringing the story out of people. That being said. I wanted to bring out a little bit of a different story because that interview already exists and I don't want to waste your time rehashing mm-hmm. the same old stuff. However, there was some stuff that you guys touched near that didn't quite touch on. One of those things being how this interview came about. So Robert, of course, is he's, he's very sweet and very diplomatic and mm-hmm. was kind of avoiding the Instagram live that he watched that motivated him to reach out to you. I believe I watched that exact same thing. If we're thinking of the same person, it was you and Denise, Denise Fenzi. Right. right. At least that's the one that I had ago. seen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a while back. It was about a year ago. Yeah. You mm-hmm. guys had this conversation. I think it took a minute. It was like an hour or so. And mm-hmm. I dove into it a, a bit in. I didn't know like exactly when it had started because you know, a lot Instagram, you just kind of jump in and you are where you are. Mm-hmm. But what Robert Cabral was saying, which I completely agree, and for those of you who haven't seen it, your... Not only were your points, of course, very reasonable, but your ability to articulate the position is one that most trainers don't tend to have. And that was a very fascinating back and forth. And some of those points I wanted to articulate on a bit more. And in a nutshell, the way that I was told interviewing is done is everybody is the hero in their own story. And I want to learn your story and how it led you to that point and where we are now. I'd like to learn a bit more about being a police officer in Belgium, mm-hmm. how that kind of shaped your dog training. So if we could, yep. let's let's start at the beginning. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to go outside the box a little bit with that stuff? Uh, yeah. yeah. I like that. Let's, let, let's talk about who you were yeah. before you were a dog trainer. So tell people a little about your history. Yeah. So um, I was actually, when I was young, at the age of 13, I had the privilege to meet uh, one of my best friends still today. 
He was a former Olympian at that time. He was at the verge of becoming a pro athlete. He a track and field runner, 200 meters, mm. 100 meters. That was his specialty. And um, I, hang, I hung out with him every day, all day. And I saw what it took to be successful because, of course, I looked up to him. He was a little bit older than me. And he took me to his races. He took me to his interviews, you know, everywhere he went, his sponsors. So, you know, I got to see some of the stuff that he got through his performances. And it was very clear to me that a performance does not only exist of passion, because obviously you have passion if you want to pursue uh, ambitions like being an Olympian, but the technique, the uh, consistency he had, the focus, um, yeah, then the talents, then the, the skills, the combination of skills that he possessed. And that um, was, it was a big influence for me at that age, 13 years old, 14, 15, 16, you know, you grow up with seeing, seeing somebody develop in that way. And I guess it always been a part of me in that, you know, understanding what it would take if you really want to accomplish something more than average. And uh, going into the police, of course, you know, that's a whole different story because not everybody can become an Olympian. I, I, I kind of tried, right, because, you know, you emulate somebody you look up to. But mm -hmm. it was clear that uh, I did have some traits that you need to have, which are the passion. I had the passion. I had the focus. I had a super discipline. But I did not have all the skills it would take to be an Olympian. And um, although I did also, you know, I was a couple with somebody who was also on a high, very high level uh, running. So I was among people that are very into their trade, their craft, their skill set. And um, when I was at the police, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit lost because, you know, to me it was a good job uh, because it gave you some freedom. It gave you some, uh, you know, so a variety of th uh, things that you could do to pursue. But... I still felt mm. like this is not really my passion. Uh, but I did have always, uh, I was always intrigued by dogs. And um, six, seven years in, or eight years in, it's still always, you know, dogs, canine training. But of course, as I had one little problem, which was I was afraid of dogs. And that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not just, actually, I'm, uh, I'm not exaggerating. A little bit actually means a lot. So if mm -hmm. a dog would bark and I wouldn't know or I wouldn't expect, I would really jump up and, because I was always told, you know, watch out for the dog. We never had dogs. So I was very cautious of dogs. But I was also intrigued by dogs. So at some point, and I remember, uh, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Uh, any day, you know, I, I don't know, it's summer, I believe, 5 a.m. I wake up and I, and I thought, I think I want to go for it. I want to I try the canine unit because the job I was doing, I wasn't really feeling it. And I thought maybe that could be something that I could be passionate for just as for the, the track and field stuff. And then I went on, and uh, I remember saying that same week to my colleagues, uh, hey, guys, you know, I've been contemplating the canine unit. There's only a few positions in a 3,000-people uh, um, company department. as a yeah, company, department, yeah. exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember they're like, all right, we'll ask you a few questions. Well, you have a dog? Uh, no. Do you know somebody who has a dog? Uh, what, what are you going to do? Is there your, you know where to train? You know something about dogs? And the answer was no, 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 no. And they, they're like looking at me and they'll start laughing, right? And I was like, okay, well, I guess I got some work to do. And then really, I went straight to the computer and I start researching. And not from what most people would do then is contact the colleagues from the canine unit. Hey, guys, my name is Nino. How are you doing? I'd like to come in. I was like, that's not going to work. We're, we're not going <laughs> to kiss somebody's ass to be, so I want you to keep going, so. Nino. Sorry to interject. Just give me, give, me a, give me a time reference. What year was this-ish? Uh, this was uh, when I started to think about the canine unit. That was 2003. Got it. When I was too. contemplating, when I was contemplating it. So, uh, yeah, that was around that year. Yeah. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, 
I just had to start from scratch. And at some point, I was like, okay, what if I want to make this a short-term thing, not like ten years in? If let's say two years to to get to that uh, to get to that unit, I might need a dog that's a little bit trained already, right? So, anyways, long story short, uh, I go and pick up a dog of somebody who was also working at the police. He said, I got a nice dog for beginners, anyways. Uh, long story short, I pick him up, put him in the car in the back seat. I didn't have no candles, no crates, no nothing. So, mm -hmm. and I was looking in the rear uh, mirror, uh, and and then I started feeling, uh oh, I'm uh, you know, I was afraid of dogs. So even <laughs> though the guy said he's nice, listen, I I grabbed the dog with the leash. You know, he had the leash still on. I walk into my house, I look at him in the kitchen because it was I had to feed him still, and I just looked in the eyes. I said, I can't do it. I felt no. this <laughs> fear. No, seriously, I couldn't do it, and I knew. How did I get in this position? How did I mess up? I just talked. I mean, I just bought a dog. And, mm -hmm. and, and then I said, I got to find a way to return him. And I thought, you know <laughs> what? Oh, I, can't, I can't look like a complete idiot. So I'll just tell this guy that my girlfriend at that time was afraid of this dog. I'm sorry, man. You know, it's just not going to work. It's me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then, you know, that, that trip back, I felt, I felt so bad. And then, you know, and then I knew it, this is over. It's, not, it's never going to work unless, unless there's only one small chance unless I get a puppy. Maybe I won't mm. be afraid of the puppy. And I assume mm. I wouldn't be afraid of the puppy. And I, and I kind of wasn't afraid of puppies because, you know, they're fluffy and small. And, and I right. thought that's the only way. So at that t time, at that moment, I started looking for a puppy. And, and the rest is history, right? So, so there's, that's there's so much in there that's of benefit to an up-and-coming person particularly and i want i'd love to hear about this a question i love mm -hmm. for people all the time is give me some of your biggest influences that don't necessarily have to be outside of dog training because what i'm hearing the commonality in your story there is you rise to pressure a lot of people don't and mm -hmm. i don't know if you know who jim Rohn is is american author but he yeah. he's I believe it was Jim Rohn who, who had said that quote, like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I think in a way, you are oh, yeah. very lucky to be around these high level, very precise, very devoted individuals. And I yeah. feel like that rubbed off on you to a huge degree. But, but tell me where you learned some of that stuff. As in the dog training stuff? No, as in, as in your, your will to make it happen. Yeah, and to yeah, rise above I, the fear. That's exactly, that's, that's your subconscious just telling you, you know what, uh, everybody around me, is also struggling because they have other uh, bars they want to meet or uh, criteria. And there was no easy way. I never saw anybody cruising, you know, to their Olympic levels or to their limits to, to get to the, the world championships or European championships or Belgian championships. It was always rough because I lived, I ate day and night. I slept with these people and I knew what it was to have that constant diet. So I knew what it was to, to overcome these adversities and then mm -hmm. rise to an occasion where well, now is your time. Now the spotlight's on, and now now is your time to do it. And and this is where your control mechanism, as we discussed with Robert, for example, comes mm -hmm. into play. But it's all your subconscious, right? So for me uh, to come from an absolute underdog position to where I had to do these exams and, and be confident about this, I knew there's only one way you can gain confidence, which is gain as much knowledge as possible. So the one asking the questions, 
might not even know as much as you do. So it's not like fake it till you make it because of course I wasn't a dog trainer, mm -hmm. but there is so much that you can take in, that you can't study, that you do have to know, that will kind of make you feel like an expert. I'll give you an example. These days when people go and buy a TV, there's so much you can look up about this TV. You can walk into the yeah. store and basically, uh, you know, know things better than the guy selling the TV. And, and right. that's, that's how I think you should see it. Like if, if you really got your mind into something, you, sh you shouldn't just like have it happen to you. You should really mm -hmm. be proactive and, and really dig deep, understand mm -hmm. about the bloodlines, understand about the breed, the, the history, all that kind of stuff. That, mm -hmm. All that adds up into building that confidence to when somebody mm -hmm. asks you questions, you're not going to go like, I don't belong here. That's the worst feeling you, you can have. If you're going into something you had ambitions for, you, you were passionate about, and then mm -hmm. coming in under, um, uh, how do you call it, under, the, uh, uh, under uh, prepared, um, under prepared, yeah, that's underperformed, under, yeah, under, yeah. Under, yeah, underprepared, yeah. 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 So you're not prepared, and then you know that's gonna sh that's gonna show, and then people are just gonna poke that and more because mm. of course there's many people for that position, mm -hmm. so they don't know nobody that's you know maybe hesitating himself or doubting himself, so I just you know, but of course it's just if you're young, the problem is, you know, you do have doubts because you don't yeah. have like experience you don't have a history of, of years in where you've done this before and you know it's going to turn out well there's always the fear of losing the fear of not making it and and you know giving up that dream which is always a hard thing you know yeah i had mm -hmm. to give up a dream like i'm not going to be an olympian i'm not going to be a professional runner i'm not going to be like my friends so mm -hmm. that was that was already tough even though for some people it might be obvious some there's only x percent that would make it why would you make it you don't you, you don't even have that technical skill set um right. so I, uh, that already, I, I tasted what defeat was in that sense of giving up a dream. And I was like, well, you know, I had this in my mind and I, I had to be sure it wasn't going to mm -hmm. turn out the same way as the track and field stuff. And like I said, at the police, I thought it was a, a dead end because the stuff I was doing, I didn't enjoy it that much. And I knew I had to focus on something that I could really enjoy and love and, and wake up in the morning and not what time it is that I can come home just like going and don't care about it and and mm -hmm. just loving the day when you wake up so that pursuit of understanding that if you want to have a, a a life that is fulfilled with uh joy and happiness it evolves around the job that you do mm -hmm. so y you have to pursue something you really love because I, i've been in positions where i did a job that i didn't really love and then you're yeah. always watching the clock all the time yeah. you're thinking about you know when is my time off it just it doesn't work like that because 164 hours in a week, you're working uh, 40 hours, you're in the traffic jam for another 15 mm -hmm. hours. That's a lot mm -hmm. of time. Uh, mm -hmm. So why put it to waste into something, you know, which is precious, your time, but what's even more precious is the energy you have because you can have all the time. You need that mm -hmm. right energy. And waking up for something you love, that's that, what we call the passion that fuels your mm -hmm. skills, that fuels everything. That's mm -hmm. what you got to pursue, the passion. Sometimes I ask my friends, what's your passion? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, man, that's got to suck because I wake up with that passion <laughs> every day. No, seriously. And then yeah. I could feel their, their pain almost as in they're kind of lost. They, they just go with the day and see what happens. And, and I think people really need something. They're like, oh, this, is, this could be really great if I could put my energy into this. It'll yeah. just show off in your, your friends, your family, well, I believe. I I have a th I have a theory. I just want to get your your thoughts on it. So so uh, usually when I talk to people or, or I work with people or I'm teaching young dog trainers things, um, I'll ask them a question similar. What is your passion, right? And usually they they come back with an answer, and that answer is them telling me what they like to do. 
right? Oh, my passion is reading, right? Is it really though, or is it learning, right? Or, or it, you know, some people will be like, oh, my passion is, um, you know, uh, you know, singing, right? Is it really singing, or is it performing, right? And so what right. I'm learning is I'm learning like passions are kind of like these umbrella things that really trigger your intrinsic drive. Right. Passions are like, I love helping. I'm a helper by nature since I was small to, to now. Right. So anything I can do to help is going to tick this box off for me. Right. Uh, or, and I, I love breaking things, concepts down. I've done that ever since I was a little kid. Right. And so like being able to help people localize what their passion is versus what they like to do. Cause sometimes people get lost. They think I like doing this thing. Therefore it should be my career. Right. But it's not necessarily what it is. It's I, I enjoy certain processes that, that, that scratch those certain itches of who I am as a person. And that's one thing dog training has done for me. It's obviously done it for you. It's obviously done it for Mariano. Um, and I love the point you were made or so like, what are your thoughts on that? Would you agree with that, that, that definition of passion? Um, did this or add something to it? Yes, because what you touch here is actually a very complex thing as when people say, this is something I like, or this is something that gives me energy, or this is something I'm passionate about, or something mm -hmm. I'm good at. This also does not mean they're talented, right? Mm -hmm. Because talent mm -hmm. is a combination of multiple things. But, True. you know, it's, it's good that you, you touch this because the definition of what it really is, liking something, or being passionate about something, or being talented about something, it's not always uh, that the two go together. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm so good at this that, I, that you love it. No, I, I'm giving an example that is very relatable. There are some people that are extremely good at analyzing stuff. Well, try mm -hmm. what, see what happens if you fill their desk up until the, the ceiling with stuff they have to analyze all day, every day. They're so mm -hmm. good at it, now they hate it. The energy drops, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, your talent, your skill that you're so mm -hmm. good at becomes an energy drain. Right, mm -hmm. so it, it's it's a performance always exists of four things, which is the skills that you own, the passion mm -hmm. you have for it, the focus, and the discipline. That's what's going to give mm -hmm. you a performance. That's as good for an Olympi Olympian or a dog trainer or whatever mm -hmm. you want to accomplish. It's always going to be in a combination of those. It's binary because if you lose one, you're never really going to get the great performance. So I think the kids, like you say, uh, first is an assessment of what are their skills and mm -hmm. how much passion do they have for these skills and in what setting can these skills be applied. Now, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have somebody with a strong energy, let's say passion, and uh, to do something with dogs. But mm -hmm. he is also very highly uh, related to interrational stuff. That means he likes somebody with the same expertise or passion or interests to be with him. Because if he can work somebody with the same interests and the same passions, he rises even better to the occasion. All right, now mm -hmm. listen to this. The worst thing that could happen then is that you isolate this boy or this girl and let him do what he's supposed to love and, and be passionate about without that significant other person that he wants to interact with to take him to the next level. That's what mm -hmm. they also call a talent accelerator. So sometimes it's not just about what you like. It's also creating the circumstances, conditions, so then you can become even better, Improve more efficient. It, yeah. yeah, So and, and that's not just black and white. It's like you, you like it or you don't like it. You also have to build a circumstance around it so these people can thrive and can do it long term. Because it's mm -hmm. one thing to be passionate about it, you know, for uh, about a skill or and do it for six months and then say, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. It's, yeah. You've got to see it long term. You don't want to lose that passion, right? 
So, yeah, so it's kind of like having having a so just so I, I can put it in words I understand. So it's like having a, a training it's like passion's not enough. Having a training partner is helpful, and having a training mentor is helpful. Not necessarily. To, to help, necessarily. To help. Okay, depending. Yeah, explain. Depending. Yeah. Depending. Depending on the characteristics of this boy slash girl. Individual. Yes, yeah. of the individual. Some people will operate better with goals. Let's say you mm -hmm. give the kid a goal. You say, hey, in X amount of months, we need to reach this point. And they'll thrive. They'll go, oh, yes, I want to take great responsibility. I want to get there. I'll show you what I can do, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it also can work against them. You give them a time frame of when they have to accomplish things, and all of a sudden, they don't like it anymore. It's like, oh, wait a second here. Or mm -hmm. like I said, some people need interaction with other people. So if mm -hmm. you deprive them from it, they're actually going to get worse. So, mm -hmm. you, so you have to understand through testing, through questions, through you know, interacting, and not just making it a, do you like this or do you like that? It has to be a combination of, of information that you have to gather and then create the situation. And that's what we call uh, talent development assessment, you know, from, from within, from the inside. Because if you just ask them, what do you like, you're going to get some answers, but you don't really know how to create the environment for this person to be long-term involved, engaged in this certain aspect. So quick question. Could we recap those four variables that you talked about? Mm-hmm. Yes, could, sure. Could you read so, them real quick? So for a performance, you need talent. And talent is the combination of skills that you can use and access simultaneously so you could do things better, faster, and more efficient with less effort than somebody else. That is a true definition of talent. So what it is not, it's really important to also know what it is not, right? It is not, I'm good at this and I love this and this, therefore it is my talent. no. Talent is a combination of skills that you can use simultaneously, access simultaneously. That allows you to do things better. Uh, and also in stressful conditions, because that's the hardest part, is when you are stressed and you have to perform, use all your skills, mm -hmm. some people don't make it then, right? Um, okay, that's, that's what. A, that's so a talent. beautiful definition. I've never heard that definition. That's why I'm writing this shit down. That's awesome. Yeah, it's actually, you know what? It's this misconception because people use the word talent the whole time. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that if you use the word talent, it's always this natural gift, right? This natural mm -hmm. ability to do something. Yeah. Well, yes and no. It's only partially true. It's yeah. a combination of skills. So what are skills? These are competencies, learned competencies, most of the time. Learned complex competencies that you can combine with other learned complex competencies. And because you can combine them in your subconscious, this allows you to do things better and faster than somebody else. And that is why we, t we speak of talent. But in the common uh, you know, uh, speech or words that we, we speak with other people, we tend to use talent as a thing that the you have. The overall term. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's too generalized. It's not in-depth because people have to know then what are these skills you are talking about? How can mm -hmm. we define these skills? Yeah. And so is skills is number two? So it's like talent, skills? So, so because talent is a combination of skills, that means okay, talent are, are the skills, right? Got then it. second, it's not second, it's not like a top four, but the other one is passion because you need energy. Like I said, you, could, you can have talents, right? That doesn't mean they give you energy. So you mm -hmm. need energy to fuel your talents because you need to keep going, right? And then you have focus mm -hmm. and discipline. Love it. And those are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, discipline, uh, absolutely. There's so much you know about this point but you see why it's binary i'll give you an example there's a lot of people and i read it on on people's on dog trainers um feeds consistent you got to be consistent you every day you got it no 
It's not true because I've met people at the police that were very consistent, and I'll tell you why. They always showed up in the morning. They were never late, and they always stayed till the evening, and they always did what they had to do, and yet even after five to ten years, they were still not looking great with a dog. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that? So that means mm -hmm. consistency is not just a key. That's why it is binary. Yeah. Yes, you are consistent, but that doesn't mean you're going to get your results just because you are consistent. Not because you wake up in the morning and show up every day for 20 years, you're good mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. We had handlers with 20 years plus experience that look worse than people with two years. So how mm -hmm. do you explain that? So he was very consistent for 20 years. So it's a combination. That's why this, these four factors are more important than just focusing on one, which is, okay, if you're disciplined or if you're consistent, you're going to make it in dog training. No, it's just one of the things, one of the... Um, yes. abilities you need to uh, enable so yeah michael ellis says um he goes you know if if you're a results driven trainer you won't get too far if you're a process driven trainer which means the process triggers your passion and brings you energy like those lots of little wins then you'll go far as a dog trainer <coughs> if you like the process of dog training would you agree with that no because it goes against what i just said some mm. people need a goal and i give you an example let's say Nino, let's make a talent assessment of Nino. Mm -hmm. And Nino is, for example, uh, he, uh, he is, one of his skills are being operational in the field, right? This is mm -hmm. one, you have operational, analytics, strategics, and international, four mm -hmm. big talents. All right, mm -hmm. let's say that is one, okay? Now, the second then is, how can we accelerate this talent? What would Nino need for his operational skills to become even better? And what kind of circumstance mm -hmm. flow should he be? All right, I'll give you a few examples. One was he needs to work with other experience or other people that are in the same boat and the same thing. And then when he gets to sit down with them and they can talk and discuss about this, he can become even better. Another mm -hmm. one is innovation, right? Another talent is, okay, when he can work to enhance the things that he believes need enhancement, so it needs innovation. If we can have him do that, if we facilitate him to innovate something, okay, that's great. On top of that, do we need a goal for him? right? Do, mm -hmm. oh, that's one. Okay, so that what you said is a result. Does he, does he want a result? Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, you also have, do we need to make him significant in his, in his appearance and his performance? That means once you've done stuff, do you want recognition? Do you, mm -hmm. want, do you want to have an impact on what is created? Do you want your name out there and that they could say, hey, Nino done this, he's created mm -hmm. that. Some people mm -hmm. would shy away from that and say, no, 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 I work behind the scenes, that's when I work best, don't mention my name, just, you know, let me, let me do what I do. What I do, and, yeah. And, and some people want that impact, right? They want to be that coach, they want to have impact. So depending on what your accelerator is, yes, you will thrive in an environment where there is either uh, a time zone or time limit or a, a certain goal you want to reach or you have to work with other people or you have to be able to innovate you have to be able to strategically use a combination of your operational skills with strategy combined which then mm -hmm. makes you do things better so if i'm operational and i can strategize within mm -hmm. this operation how to do things better you see how all this stuff is is important to yeah. know but that's hard to define when you're a kid so that's true yeah and that bringing well, it back <laughs> exactly well i want to learn yeah. a little bit about how you learned to define these things was it books that you read was it people that you surrounded yourself with did you have to design this when you were designing your courses yeah so what happened is uh i was very into talent development for dogs so I was mm. like, hey, what skills do dogs need to understand? How come we, we can get a great performance out of a dog? When do they become worse? Or oh, how do you create that perfect 
dog, right, that, that can perform in any circumstance. I was very focused on the dog, and I made the same mistake that everybody else has over the last decades, I would say, and which is I was always focusing on the skills for the dog. Now, when I met the professor, uh, Mark Biscop, he went to one of my seminars, and he was uh, watching it. Actually, we first met in a private seminar on a one-on-one, and he said, I'm an ex-Olympian. Which of course already triggers my. And you're like, all right, uh, hello. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. an Olympian. So uh, uh, that's great. So, and then he, I also found out he was the author of a book called uh, "Departing with Talent and Passion." Mm. It's like, okay, this is great because I, I I love passion and I'm into something that I believe you know requires talent from your dog and yourself. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, since he was a uh, he's also a psychologist, he's a mathematician. He uh, made a psychometric tool that mm-hmm. talks about, I mean, that helps you define those talents and accelerators and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he taught me about this and I had an accreditation through his uh, company. So I was able to make assessments based on the psychometric tool that he built, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, based on psychology and validated psychology, not just, you know, talking out of your neck, hot air, no, validated science. So as you know, cool. validated science is the same as we would talk about Skinner, we would talk about Pavlov, which yep. is validated yep. science. So our drivers control mechanisms, these are all validated. And the psychometric tool is also scientifically validated through universities. So it's not just some uh, hocus pocus, this is real stuff. And this psychology is what can help you be proactive if you're going into behavioral patterns that will help, uh, that will actually become your decline of Mm -hmm. turning into whatever you want it to be. And I thought, it cannot be more interesting than this because as a dog trainer, how come some people stagnate? How people, how come some people never get it or it's how people some people quit and some people make it to the top what's the difference now between the world champion and, and a passionate enthusiast that wants to get the same thing but he never makes it so what are we actually looking at and the problem was we always looked at the dog the dog what kind of dog what kind of props mm-hmm. what kind of food what kind of jacket what kind of everything all the tangibles but we never made a profile on what it would take for to be to become an ultimate champion for example, what kind of skills mm-hmm. are we looking at? Not dog skills. Forget about the dog because he did it with three different dogs, for example. What, mm-hmm. what it would take? And I thought, here, this is where it becomes really interesting. We've been focusing on one thing only, which was the dog. And, of course, it's the handler. Now, everybody would agree, of course it's the handler. Well, then when I ask a bunch of professionals and tell me what skills you define as the most important ones to combine, to become better, faster, more efficient than somebody else, it actually becomes very quiet. So it's not really mm. clear to them, even though they're professionals, what it would take, what kind of skills. And, and I believe analyzing and uh, assessing these skills and then teaching them is a, is a game changer. Because once yeah. you know, once you define the skill, then you can finally work on the skill and then you can start the combination of skills. And before that, you're just luck. You know what, you know what's going to happen. Maybe you're lucky, maybe you're not. Maybe you got a, a good mentor. Maybe you pick it up subconsciously. And it's too much based on luck as it is science-based. We always focus on science related to Skinner and Pavlov, the quadrants. Mm-hmm. Look, people don't always need the quadrants right away. It's a cognitive skill. No. If understanding mm-hmm. everything about Pavlov is very cognitive, but it's not going to mm-hmm. help you if they give you that dog day one. You're like, okay, wh- what did Pavlov say? But Pavlov was not a dog yeah, yeah. trainer, nor was Skinner. So yeah. this could, although this is very interesting, you got to look at what is the priority and what you need to do, what you need to understand, and when does it all come together? Because obviously a high-level trainer would have and the cognitive skill and the motor skills and the analytical skill. So we would have mm-hmm. a combination of multiple skills, speaks for itself. But as a young starting dog trainer, you cannot expect this dog trainer to be very cognitive about all the science and then completely mm-hmm. freeze paralysis by analysis when he has mm-hmm. to do something with his dog. 
Mm-hmm. That's not what you want. And that's what happens the whole time. When I was doing seminars, I met people like, holy crap, David, they read a lot of books about this stuff, mm-hmm. but then the performance... But their technical skill sucks. Yes. Yeah. So how come there's mm-hmm. this discrepancy between understanding, knowing the how, but mm-hmm. not being able to... To, to really put it into uh, right, to execute it practice yeah, Ooh, that actually it. that actually brings up something that I think me and oh no maybe maybe it wasn't me and Mariano it was me and John another dog trainer friend um, I'll, I'll save that subject for a little bit later but it was pretty much talking about how the industry we live in now social media people just need to know theoretically things and they can get followings but they don't have to show the work necessarily but uh, i don't want to go down i want to stay on this particular path because that's 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 a good uh well here's a path that i think would be very fun to go down so i can hear that the book title is departing with talent and passion right mm-hmm. i can hear as you talk about it the influence that this person had which is amazing and i'd like to get his name one more time so that we can remind people yeah it's mark m-a-r-c the biscop uh, that's a long name but it's d-e-b-i-s-s-c-h-o-p so yeah it's a brilliant guy he's a mathematician yeah he's had a phd in mathematics so um so he has a few phds you know brilliant guy has had so much fun with him and of course he's passionate about dogs and because normally you are not going to get people of that level come into your world and then you know give you a one-on-one coaching assistant hey this is you know how you got to look at things this i mean these consultants would be unaffordable you just yeah. had the luck that you meet some people at the right time at the right moment you know, as a course developer as a as a trainer i mean that that stuff that obviously interested me a lot so i was just lucky also to meet him at the right time because uh, he said hey uh because he's an igp trainer and he said all of a sudden he said i, I see this guy in, in in my feed or facebook whatever and he's like Oh, that the way he moves is kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. he said, I got intrigued. And then he said, I started following you. And I was like, you know what? I got to know. I got to know what he does, where he comes from. I got to know the story. So he came with that idea. Like, I want to hear your mm-hmm. story. Like, how do you even get here? Why, why are you so different in doing your things, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as traditional IGP and stuff? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how we got involved. Yeah, that was that was one thing that really interested me. I come from a dance background, so I was a hip hop dancer for many many years. And when mm-hmm. I see your work, you know, and I see the hits and the hits, and like everything is choreographed so beautifully, but how much muscle memory you're just trying to develop? It's almost like a wax on wax off kind of kata type of style mm-hmm. of work, but it's so graceful and so beautiful, and it's very attractive just in you. person and in social media. <laughs> you know, it's very cool, and it takes work. Thank it takes a lot of hard work. Thank you. Uh, but as you know, you know when, when you're passionate about something, you don't see it as mm-hmm. hard work. It's just like, hey, you like to dance, and mm-hmm. dancing is mm-hmm. also hard work. You would say physically, you know, it's demanding. Yeah. You got to put in the choreographies, it's repetitious, but, and, but something yeah. you like. And and the question then becomes, how do you s- and start to enjoy something like that? So you mm-hmm. got to set something up so it becomes enjoyable. And feeling mm-hmm. uncomfortable is not really something people enjoy. So then they mm-hmm. shy away from it. And then you go back to traditional stuff, right? But yeah. and that you know, if you want to have a different result, you got to try something different sometimes. Yeah. And that's how I thought about things, you know, with dogs also. As I come also from traditional clubs, and they would look at me and go like, "What is he doing?" And like, what? and they would ask <laughs> You're like me, a "Like Marion in the corner, just with your food?" <laughs> yeah, I was always, you know, very energized because you know yeah, I like the yeah, energy yeah. of dogs, and and yeah. the energy transfer is a real thing. So yep, sometimes like, well, that's kind of holistic, you know, energy transfer yeah. with a dog. Yes. Energy transfer with a yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. If the dog's yep. on a hype, 
it just hypes me up also and and you know that that's cool to have that kind of can, relationship can can we touch on that actually i we need to take a quick commercial break i was gonna say hang quick. on a second you guys but, we're gonna take yeah, a quick commercial but, break but i think that a great a great process to kind of transition this into some of the more modern topics in dog training would be now that we have a full-on very comprehensive i think understanding of how nino operates and what are the what are the the skills and the, and the techniques and, and the ability to systemize things that make you who you are and make you the teacher that you are i'd like to get that person's thoughts on some of this stuff that's going on today so let's take a quick break and when we get back we'll awesome. dive right back on it see you soon yep. hey guys thank you so much for listening to dog trainers podcast you know what's a great way to support this podcast by becoming a sponsor today with sponsoring the podcast you'd be helping us make this show the best it can be and so much more from hosting more local events, traveling throughout the country, and connecting with trainers from around the world. Ultimately, getting you, the listener, more of the content that you love. For more information, please contact us at dogtrainerspodcast at gmail.com or visit our Instagram page at dogtrainerspodcast. Thank you guys, and now back to the show. All right, guys, again, this is our interview with Nino Drowert. Right, that's TSK9. Thanks so much again for your time, Nino. Now, just before we went on break, okay. we were talking about we were talking about how you operate. What were the big motivators? What were the big uh, influences that kind of make you who you are and what you do and what you've achieved in the dog training space, which is a ton, which is insane. I, you know, I was just talking right now about your healing styles, the new edition, and of course, there's all kinds of courses on your guys' site. And actually, one of the things I really enjoyed was your uh, there's like an assessment you can take to find out which course is best for you. So we'll dive into all that in a bit. But what I wanted to start with to bring us back was now that we understand how you operate, now that we understand your ability to systematize and to make sense of things in a very simple way and teach it to others. What are your thoughts on the other view of the world these days? A lot of people are more do what feels good. I don't necessarily need to need to perform at this top level. I don't necessarily need to push my dog to do these things. I just want my dog to enjoy his life, and I don't need to like put any pressure on them. Yeah, it's. it's I think that? that's everybody's prerogative. Like uh, you know, this is a free world, and especially the U.S. stands for freedom of speech and freedom of thoughts, and and doing what you enjoy as long as you don't harm other people or animals. There's laws to prevent that. So if you're still in in those boundaries of of moving. I think we're all good. Uh, it just becomes a little bit of a problem when one person who chooses that path is going to dictate what everybody else's path should be. That's mm-hmm. where it gets a little bit uh, polarizing, I believe, because, yes, there is a big, you know, uh, what is it called, R-plus camp and then and a, a balanced trainers camp, all that kind of stuff. Th- those words are big in the U.S., uh, not so mm. much here in, in Europe, uh, but I, I do follow those um, those threats going on and, uh, yeah, it's 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 weird, you know, to me because if if I'm not an expert, for for example, in, in tracking or whatever, then I get people in who are experts and I let them speak. Uh, it's mm-hmm. weird that some people have uh, like opinions, but that's fine. You can have opinions, but if you want to push your agenda onto mm-hmm. uh, complete communities, if you have zero experience in them, if you've never worked any dogs, if you've not done those uh, jobs, well, why would you be eligible to even have a vote in it? then uh, no it's and we're facing the same issues here when it comes to politi- political agendas being pushed uh to dog trainers and communities uh based on what emotions and false information and i'm, I'm worried mm-hmm. a little bit about that 
Well, in the U.S. also one of those things, the fake news, but it's reality. Sometimes there is fake news and it's not being debunked because they're simply not giving the experts a voice. And uh, the lobbies are so small that of the people that are true professionals or craftsmen that they're just like collateral damage. <laughs> Forget about them. The crowd wants this. Let's give them what they want. And, uh, and I think it, that's the story, the sad story of dog training is that, you know, in the end, I think a true dog passionate lover never wants to harm a dog. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you can work skill, that if you have skill, I mean, we talked about skill just uh, before. If you have skills, that's what matters most. Like, are you skilled enough to, to achieve or to do these things? And if the answer is no, then, of course, you're going to mess up with anything we give you because you're just not qualified. And... And maybe it's it's more of a discussion like, you know, what is skilled in and how do we qualify people and how do we ensure that the well-being of the dog is always the number one uh, thing that we are concerned about. Because I do understand also that if, like, for example, if you're working for the police, there is that time pressure of you got to get certified. You got to mm -hmm. you got to make sure that you make it. Uh, it. These are tough dogs, so we'll use corrections if you need to, because it's got to be time efficient. And then, yes, there, there are situations that I believe could be much better um, approached, but is, is, the, is the, the solution then to ban stuff? No, because literally you could do still harm without any tools. Everybody knows mm -hmm. that. I think mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, nobody was talking about e-collars and it yeah. was all leash. I think if you really want to ban something, I would say take away the power of the leash and then see what happens. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you ban the collar, you might as well ban the leash because the, the collar, e-collar, would be an extension of the stuff you've done with a leash, the yeah. techniques you've applied. So if you want to ban, you gotta, you got you to gotta be, you know, straightforward yeah. and say, let's ban it all. Mm -hmm. Let's have dogs just run loose. And then you, you're getting into a, an environment that is not livable anymore. Of course, yeah. you don't. Nobody wants we, that. So. We just we just recently interviewed Temple Grandin, animal researcher and behaviorist, um, <clears throat> and she she brought up this interesting parallel because um, she her, her most of her work is having to do with cattle farms, mm -hmm. um, and she goes oh. in and she revamps the systems that they use that mistreat cattle. Right, <clears throat> and one of the objectives of you know the people who uh, this this is kind of a situation where like good intentions can lead to bad ideas and then you learn from it right so uh people want to just ban cattle prods like the electrical sticks that go pff, pff. Yep. and what they realized is in the areas where they banned the the use of those they had to get the cows to move forward somehow right in order to get them to slaughter or get them to move through for vaccinations and right. what they ended up doing <clears throat> is they actually have ended up having to use more violence hitting them breaking their tails yeah. uh, they had to poke them with other things because they technically right. were not allowed to use the cattle prods anymore and so a good idea led to even the use of more violence and so what they realized yeah. is they said we have to have a compromise here we have to limit the use of the cattle prod because if it's in your hand you'll use it more often on the cow and versus other methods or tactics but at the same time, if you don't have it at all, you end up hurting the cow physically in order to get it to move. And so they saw an increased case of uh, broken tails and injured cows and all those things when they got rid of the use. So that, I think I just bring that point up to kind of talk about how certain, you know, good, good intentions can lead to bad ideas that, that develop other problems in other scenarios. 
I would argue that that it's not even necessarily a good intention, though. One thing, I don't know if you remember Mm. this, Nino. The first time you and I spoke, it was like on an Instagram call or something, or a Zoom call. Right. It was like a year ago. And one of the things that you and I talked about, it was a conversation I enjoyed very much, was there's a difference between natural evolution and people just getting better at dog training, which has been happening, obviously, over the past, you know, however many years, 50, 60 years, versus trying to simulate evolution, which never seems to quite work out through legislation. And the point Mm -hmm. I think you made quite well with Denise was, you know, she was making what I thought were at least more reasonable middle ground points. Like, well, what if we kind of have it so that there is some system where you have to show a certain set of competency with the tool before you can purchase it? And that I think is, is like, I get that thought process. I, I, I'm not a, like, I can vibe with that to an extent, but then your question, which was a great one was like, okay, who sets the test? Who decides what's what? That's my problem. Right, is these yeah. people who you don't know, you've never met, they're faceless, they're nameless, and they're they're the ones deciding what you know and what you're capable to have access to. Yeah, I'm still surprised that this day and age, the, a device that becomes so sophisticated that there's apps, there's uh, you know Bluetooth, <laughs> there's you know so many options to to have it exactly on the moderate level that you need it to so you can use all the skill that you have that you've earned that uh, this is questioned because uh, you know at this day and age everything you pick up could kill somebody or you can have you know you can go on a rampage with it and uh, you know this this conversation that happens over and over again i'm like okay well uh, how why are we even having this discussion to be honest because you know it's so obvious i think that if you don't have skill don't touch it like if you would ask me what about that cattle stick I don't know. I've I've never had the the problem of putting a cow into a you know a place where I I don't know what to do. And why would I have an opinion about this? It's so mm-hmm. weird. Everybody you know that since social media, everybody knows something about anything, and um, mm-hmm. and then you get these conversations with people that are you know with with a I would almost call it a fixed mindset. You know because a fixed mindset basically means if you're being critiqued, that means you're. Uh, you know, you're not an expert anymore and you could be exposed or whatever. So we just had to fight that instead of thinking with common sense and, and say, okay, well, what is the main objective here? The main objective is to train dogs. You bo- we both want to mm-hmm. train dogs, all right? So what kind of skill level do you have to to then get me those results that I need in a, you know, in a realistic way, as in time and, and you know, uh, resources? And to get a result and also ensure that nobody's going to get hurt, right? There's safety. There's so many things. How are you mm-hmm. going to get that? And if, if they can't come up with those answers, this this discussion is close, to be honest. Because yeah. it's one thing to critique somebody and not give the solution. But you, if you critique, then give the solution. I mean, that's how it yeah. works. Yeah. So, And there's no solution. Everything that I hear of all these trainers, you, they always say the same. Have you have you trained police dogs? Have you trained high drive dogs? Have you trained problem dogs behavior? behavioral? Uh, 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 y- y- yes, a little bit. But have you trained dogs to the extent where the drive is so high that it's almost yeah. impossible to communicate from a distance, et cetera, and you're, you're dealing with the, you know, the, the most powerful animals yeah. that we've bred, that we've domesticated ourselves. Do we have to kill them all or do we going to train them? Because I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. It's one thing to tweet as a minister of uh, domestic affairs and say, hey, Belgium, we got the Malinois that just apprehended uh, Osama bin Laden's uh, you know, number two. And then right. the same guy a few months later says, well, we're going to have to ban tools, but that's how these dogs were trained in the first place, man. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And if you don't know anything, it's not your place. So, 
That's so it's I an feel. interesting point that you make about potential fallout, and I want to get your thoughts on this. You agree or disagree? All right, it's all good either way. So I would argue their intention, as in like their proposed solution, I guess I should say, is there. They just don't often say it. For example, is it merely coincidence or was it part of the plan that every one of these countries, that every one of these force-free trainers constantly posts about, you know, oh, France just did this. Well, there, here's a long list one more time of blah, blah, blah. And they always post that list of like 13, 14 countries that have banned tools. I believe every single one of them also bans breeds. I believe every single one of them also has like more restrictions in other forms regarding dogs, which means at some point, unless I'm mistaken, if they're banning breeds, that would tell me once upon a time there was that breed in there. <laughs> Which, what happened to all those dogs? So it, it yeah. seems to me that, that their overall solution is like, in order to make this work, there has to be kind of this, this like mass cleansing of dogs that are, that are not able to be worked with a certain set of tools. And, yeah. oh, there's just something wrong with that dog then. Right? So they, they are aware of it. And I've pointed it out yeah. to a few trainers who wouldn't be willing to be on the podcast. But even once you pull it out of them, they'll even say it. But they don't tend to say it publicly. But I do think that they know what their solution, their proposed solution is. Kill them. Because there's kind of no way to around them. it. Kill them, yeah. Just kill yeah. them. Yeah. Kill all the untrainable dogs or the difficult dogs. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. the that's, the fir- that's the first step to getting what you want, right? So, mm-hmm. And then the objective is, uh, is insanely inhuman almost, right? Because yeah. they could be trained perfectly without any abuse also. So. Yeah. It's just, you know, the fact that our minister here in this country says, listen to this, the practices, because there's a banner coming here also, the practices of unsedated slaughtering, for example, I don't know if you guys have that, right? It's uh, unsedated, uh, you said? Yeah, unsedated, unsedated Oh, killing a dog, yeah. killing a no, dog sheep, without... Like sheep, like cattle, oh, sheep. cattle, like, yeah, they, they would just yeah, like yeah. You know, cut their throats, slice whatever. Them. Yeah. yeah, slice them, yeah. These are all practices that need to be banned, so it's e-color, so they put, they put them in the same sentence even. Wow. So, yeah, so, and, and then I'm asking myself, okay, so, but your whole army, police, you know, they're, they're using this, so you're just saying, like, there's, you get a five-year, just keep doing what you're doing, guys, the, the same old practices, uh, killing dogs almost, uh, but that's all right, and then on the same thing, and the same uh, minister, uh, how do you call it, uh, you know, they have to turn this in uh, English, bill? right? Yeah, uh, where like you have to, this new law? law, the new law, right, that you have to mm-hmm. get the new law in place. It says that uh, oh, e-collar fencing, e-collar fencing is allowed, and that's when I st- when it started to get to me. I was like, "Oh, wait a second here! E-collar fencing is allowed, not because you want to allow it, because you don't you don't want the hassle of then having the discussion in cattle with e fences, right, all over mm-hmm. the country." And now, okay, because that, I mean, if you think about it, okay, e-collar fence is allowed, e-collar training is not allowed. I mean, how is that not the same thing? You know what their what their statement is? It says literally. The dog has a choice with the e-collar fence. <laughs> well, that's that's the whole foundation of dog training. Yeah, dog yeah, yeah. A give choice. them a choice. Yep. They have a choice, and by training, they they make the right choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is crazy. But why are we having a discussion with a minister who is obviously biased through the the people that have influenced him the most, or he wants to vote? It's it's kind of like you know, you guys had Trump in the U.S. and it's some certain tactics he has become politically very successful and it has multiplied and copied itself these strategies in other countries also and other parties that go with the same you know way of of talking and and you know and and, and, and something works for politicians they're just meaning they've it. been 
Meaning they've been emulating Trump? Not Trump specifically, but I'm just saying like when a politician, Mm. let's say in whatever country they first had the first ban, and that works as in they get votes because look, hey, look what I did. I banned this. Oh, Oh, uh uh that's what works. And that's the collateral damage is just a handful of professionals and just some people that ah, we don't really care about, but it gives us that many votes if you go that way. All right, let's do it. So what I'm trying to say is if, if something really works, I mean, politicians are not stupid. They're, they're going to know and they're going to see in the landscape, okay, what, do, what can politicians do that have them become more popular, get more votes with little things, right? If you would say, hey, uh, reform the whole educational system, that's something else. That's going to cost you a lot of money, a lot of work, a lot of research. I mean, it's insane, right? But of course, if you can get a lot of votes, hundreds and thousands of people, because, hey, we're just banning old practice, frying dogs. That's not what you're supposed to do. Yes, mm-hmm. man, this, this guy, no, I'm going to vote for this guy. You see, so I think it's, it's more of an electoral thing than it actually is a cop. Mm. Because these people are smart, you know. You're not going to tell me this minister is, is, is as stupid as the stuff that he just wrote. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, of course. I mean, you don't get to be a minister. I know that people love, especially in America, I'm sure it's the same anywhere, but especially in America, people love to hate them some politicians, depending on what side of whatever, you know, spectrum. Yeah. Sorry, two seconds. Mm-hmm. But, sorry. So people love to hate politicians, but yeah, you don't get to the position that you're in not being smart. So I, I agree with that. I think that there, there tends to be, and that, that was kind of one of the points that I get annoyed with in, in dog training and, and people proposing banning tools, because choosing not to use it is one thing. That's perfectly reasonable. Nobody mm-hmm. says you have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But telling someone else who knows how to work it, who knows how to teach it, who gets amazing results out of it, that they no longer are able, that's a totally yeah. different thing. And, and I, one thing I'm, I'm constantly just blown away by people is... Haven't we all seen enough yet? This isn't even a political thing. I don't care what side you're on. Haven't we all seen enough yet of government officials from either side doing things they shouldn't do? Mm-hmm. At what point do you stop giving them more and more and more ability to dictate what you can and can't do? Clearly, mm-hmm. they don't even follow their own rules. Clearly, they, they don't even care to learn about what they're speaking about. The prime minister doesn't even know how dog training works. He doesn't think that an e-caller gives a dog an opportunity to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, and again, I know that they're not dumb, and I, I peeps probably may even know better for all I know, but they just kind of placate people who, you know, like I would imagine the whole thing with the uh, with allowing e-fences. Probably just farming is too important to Belgium's economy, and, and they can't you know? afford to not have their dogs, like, like they're herding yeah. dogs and their herds, you know, so but that's he kind of has no right? option there. That's hypocrisy. Of course. Because if you shut the, right, door, but, the door, if you say e-collar fencing is abuse, hey, wait a second here. Did you say an e-fence is abuse? How is mm-hmm. this horse then less than a dog? How is this sheep mm-hmm. less than a dog? Oh, yeah, guys, mm-hmm. we got some. Mm-hmm. All right, so now you're getting in trouble. So they have to concede, I assume, right? That are, you know, and, and by doing that, they basically become hypocrites because who mm. puts the collar on the dog? It's still a person. Who puts that post in the ground that's going to give this dog shocks, right? Because that's what they say. It's cruel, but we still mm-hmm. want it. Right. In the right circumstance, fry him, right? So, mm. and then they say, but the dog has a choice. Well, then you don't know anything about dog training to start with. And first of all, a human has to teach this dog. There is a fence. You just want this dog to go into an invisible fence and then you get shocks. And then Figure again, it out. This, yeah. is, but this is where it becomes actually an aversive tool then, right? Because then he sees the boundaries as something, I got to stay away from this. As mm-hmm. where I, for example, use collars is 
I, it, it gives me more speed. It gives you communication. It gives you the details of all the, the work you've done, uh, for example, could, you know, could be magnified by this color. But you never want the cons, right? Because everything can have pros and cons if you only work with food. And you, then you don't mm -hmm. have food. The dog's also going to go, well, then the hell with you. So everything mm -hmm. has pros and cons. So you have to assess. You have to analyze. You have to use all these skills that I've talked about to then see how, to, how can I use this is a tool that is so advanced today in comparison to 30, 40 years ago to mm -hmm. have this dog perform even better, right? And, uh, you know, being blind to that this day and age where there's so much information uh, it, to me is, is crazy because I don't like the pro camp. Like, if you would ask me, are you pro e-collar or against e-collar? Well, you obviously use when you're pro. No, I would actually always say, are you competent? Okay, then what does competent mean? Do you, mm -hmm. can you work dogs, you know, in general? Do, without, let's say, no tools, whatever. Do, mm -hmm. do you know how to move? Do you know how to use your hands? Do you know how to fade? Do you, you know, there's a set of skills that belongs to dog training. And if the answer is no to all of them, or the, the majority, why would I give something to you that's only going to mm -hmm. make it harder now? Because you don't yeah. even own the three, you know, basic foundational skills, for example, yet you're going to add something on top of it. And that's what I see all the time. But new trainers, what they do is not, not even callers, e-callers. They work a clicker, they work a leash, they work voice commands, and they work lures and, and movement. Mm -hmm. That is a, a, you know, a, a multitask you're doing from day one. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't know any of these skills before. How do you even think that's going to work well? So you're just basing yourself on the probability of luck that maybe the dog will pick it up and I'll be efficient with these commands. And at some point in a dog's life, he, he will understand what I mean and he'll just listen. Mm -hmm. it, not I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. But I think at least the way I take it, whenever somebody were to ask, are you pro e-collar are you pro whatever i assume maybe this is wrong of me but i assume that they mean are you pro the access to this tool because i would think the normal healthy assumption for any smart person would be you know how to use it right so if somebody asked me like hey are you pro e-collar i take it as do you think that people should have access to e-collars and i would say yes right mm -hmm. again you should know what you're doing obviously and the dog should know what they're doing and, and be ready for this level of training and this type of training yes of course but that's kind of how i like surmise it and in american mm -hmm. anything anything like yes no based like this that's kind of how they do it in a nutshell like hey are you pro this and yeah. i know it's a complex yeah. discussion but it's more like do you think ultimately do i fall on this side versus that then the answer is yes um one thing i wanted to delineate a little bit we've had a couple of force-free friends we've had denise on the show twice and mm -hmm. We've had Sarah, Sarah Bruski, who Sarah is an amazing force-free trainer, and I think she was one of Denise's students back in the day, and she works now, I want to say, for like pedigree in their arena in, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I want to say in Missouri, something like that. Um, she does fancy dog sports, too. That's what I'm saying, right? So, so we've yeah. had them on, and we've had great conversations, and your live with Denise was fascinating, and her points were, I think, more reasonable, and again, your counter-arguments were more more reasonable, just for all, all that you really had to do to, to win me over on that whole thing was just give a healthy dose of skepticism as to who gets to make the call, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to have to qualify for this tool, who qualifies you? Who's in charge of this? Can do, do the people who know how to use these tools and work these tools, do they get a say in who qualifies? Probably not. So why would I trust this qualification process, right? So that was a good point. That being said, Denise and Sarah, they're force-free trainers, but every time I've spoken with them, they don't necessarily seem to be pro-ban. And I delineate someone who chooses not to utilize tools versus someone who thinks you shouldn't have one. And we've been having, as, as the right. podcast, an extremely difficult time 
getting somebody on to speak about their pro-ban position. Have you had any luck with that? No, it's hard to defend it. That's the reason. Because at the police, mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the early days, I was one of the people that would say, hey, I, I use it. And, and back then, it was you were not supposed to use it. And uh, they would have these debates, but uh, uh, behind closed doors, right? Uh, as soon as you would you know, call them out on the spot and say, hey, well, then what are the alternatives, et cetera, there, it would be very quiet. So I think it's hard to defend something that you actually know is, is going to also um, exclude people like professionals, dogs that have been saved by this tool, people like Robert who have done phenomenal jobs in the shelter. They've given dogs a second life uh, because of their skills and these tools and their knowledge. I mean, uh, you, you can't just shove that under the rug and say, I am pro-animals, but yet, you know, you, you dismiss the fact that there's very skilled people and the tool has also But it seems like you can. Things. It's working. Like, you shouldn't be able to shove it under the rug, but that's the only tactic they seem to have. I never see anyone yeah. come to the table and have this discussion. Yeah, and I think that's why, because, you know, if you, if you speak with common sense, I mean, you, I think you could find somebody, if you would just try to find anyone anyone could come on your show and say i'm against this but he wouldn't make sense so you're you're looking for somebody that can make sense in his discussion mm-hmm. in his in his speech so in his mm-hmm. convention of what it is and, and i think that is hard because once they start talking and then thinking and then say well yes but you, because you can't say for example if you if you say the most important job in the world is, is uh, uh navy seal police or uh, navy seal special forces dog you actually apprehend terrorists with a dog all right that's great some people also think that is cruelty because the dog is being used for modern warfare. Yeah. So, I mean, that, okay, then you can discuss, is it, is it cruel? Anyways, you see, but let's, let's assume that we're okay with special forces doing what they do. I assume that everybody should be okay with that because, I mean, they protect our freedom and our, and our existence, uh, uh, so our democracy and everything. But then these people are truly professionals, very skilled people. They bring in the best people. They want they want to make ensure that the probability, the chances of doing high risk operations, go to a good end. And I think that I think it it would be unfair then for a, a human to say or somebody else to say, hey, I, you know what, ban you too. You know, f you, whatever you do. No, you're done with this. I'm going to decide. You you don't get to use it anymore. And your operation might have higher risk then of of being successful because i told you to not use it uh you probably won't hear that out of somebody's mouth it's going to be hard to have them actually say that well, but see, you are so the solution that. the solution becomes clear we have to send zach george to go get the next bin laden that makes total <laughs> sense so no I'm, 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 I'm only picking on zach because because as a trainer and as a modern trainer you know with how important social media content is and all that kind of stuff and I wanted to talk a bit more about your online school and all that good stuff and writing books and everything mm-hmm. that trainers do like Larry I know your friends and, and I know he's written mm-hmm. his book and that's been successful um, I've always been a fan of, of Zach George's content of, of meaning the stage presence how sharp how polished you know XYZ but of course he's pro band and, and you know what have you and I'm picking on him a little bit because I've done this Privately, I've emailed him, I've messaged him, I've commented to try to get him on the show to discuss. And only because he has, he good, has been posting words. a lot lately. I just saw a post from him yesterday. He's been posting a lot lately, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. Guys, I'd really love to know. Like he, He's posting this um, this tool versus no tool like as, as a conversation starter. And he's like, please comment, please tell us. I really want to know. I really want to know more. I really like to want, I want to have this discussion. 
And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I'm reaching out over and over. So it's getting to the point where it's like, if I need to, if I need to say on the show public, like, look, we've been reaching out. I'd love to have you on. Let's talk about this. But I don't, in my opinion, you don't get to sidestep conversation while actively saying you want to have the conversation. Yeah, That's unreasonable to me. Yeah. Right. But it, but the whole thing is unreasonable, really. I no, <laughs> I agree with you one hundred percent. But you know, but but again, if somebody's going to specifically say, "I want to have this discussion," here we are. So you know, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. But no, I I, I agree with you. It, it's weird how people have these expectations, or maybe it's lack of gratitude, maybe it's lack of understanding. I don't know. Mm. All the things that are special forces, that are militaries, that are police, you know, even that sport dog and, and just pet obedience trainers and things have to do to, you know, to give dogs a chance at life, to give us a chance at what we want, to continue the type of freedoms that we have, which sometimes mm-hmm. means you have to go after somebody like a bin Laden. Mm-hmm. They either don't know or don't care and think that that stuff just yeah. doesn't have to happen, I suppose. Yeah, but if you look at the essence, the true essence of why they're so opposed to it, because they always have to try to to see, okay, what, why do these people feel that way, right? Because you yeah, can't put just yourself be in their shoes. And say, yeah. yeah. So why is it that you have such uh, anger towards the people that use it, or you're so uh, so confident that it should be banned? And I think, okay, the, I think what they feel is dogs should not be hurt, all right? And I mm, think that that kind of thinking pattern already gets you on the wrong track because then you believe that pain and hurt is part of that that tool and that training and then yeah that's you you spin out you you try to imagine the story then what more could happen and and how you can prevent that by installing mm-hmm. a ban and actually it has nothing to do with that so mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. that's the, fr- the emotion that comes out of you thinking that you could do that to a dog with an e-collar and you can i mean if we're honest if mm-hmm. you blast if you put that thing on the max and you do have a dog in low drive and just gonna push buttons I mean that's exactly what's going to happen. So in that mm-hmm. regard, it's probably it probably has happened at some place at some time. Uh, mm-hmm. But but again, I've been a police officer, and the stats are about abuse because we were also involved in animal abuse. It's crazy that there's so much abuse, but it has nothing to do with an e collar. All the abuse was was really neglecting dogs, kicking dogs, severe aggression mm-hmm. towards dogs, but nothing to do with some device that was designed to train a dog actually so mm-hmm. the stats actually speak against them because they're all already laws uh for cruelty and the convictions in abuse you know you saw that guy last week throwing his dog over the fence abandoning him oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. power yeah, yeah. plant it was nuts so and and those are the cases you see it's not the guy that wants to become better in his dog training or, or be sufficient at it uh, so it's this whole misconception of you know how they portray this this tool that it becomes something they want to go against and i think because there's so many people that also are in the same realm of hey dogs or emotions or family you're not going to put collars on family and stuff like that so you, you kind of humanize everything and then yeah mm-hmm. you get these kind of polarizations and, but it's an endless discussion right because it's not our right to, to tell you how you need to feel Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel you're in a privileged position because we are associated then with pain and with pressure and with abuse. And then, of course, they stigmatize you as, oh, you're an e-color user. You belong in that bracket. Mm-hmm. So, And then mm-hmm. the discussion is endless because then you're trying to talk your way out of it and convince somebody who doesn't want to hear what you have to say because the mindset is still the same. E-color is pain. You are bad. 
And mm -hmm. as long as that, that first trigger response exists of pain, discomfort, and high discomfort, because actually there's nothing wrong with discomfort. I mean, we tell people the whole yeah. time, if you look at a podcast on YouTube, you got to go out of your comfort zone, right? You got to yeah, feel yeah, the yeah. discomfort. That's what's going to, I mean, it's, it's everybody's, uh, you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, the, it's, well, the principles you know, of growth. The principles of growth are pressure, be uncomfortable, go exactly, outside of your exactly. comfort zone. Yeah, but I yeah, think but we've and all I don't want to discount pressure makes diamonds. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, and, and not to discount yeah. that we can't misuse a tool or apply too much pressure or apply pain, right? Like mm -hmm. even people can overdo it with like the gym, right? So like just moderation, <laughs> better technique, that's, all that, that stuff. That's why my definition of a pure positive trainer. If you wear a leash, things are also going to happen. Because if you yeah. have a leash and the dog all, all of a sudden takes off, he, he's popping himself into the leash. Yeah. Basically, that is a correction. And that dog was in discomfort. And that dog mm -hmm. wanted to be free, but it was not free. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. then we can also ask. Well, now it's oppression. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, that, that's impossible. You can't be a saint. Yeah. And then yeah, be a you, dog can't, you can't have a perfect, pretty picture about well, that can I get, all the time. Can I get your thoughts on this, Nino? So. Whenever I hear people make this argument mm. online, it's always like there are people who use tools, who use punishment, who use torturous, outdated, primitive methods versus science-based dog training. The word science-based, yeah. Well, well, just at what point? I mean, because if we want to talk science-based, we know that negative emotion is an extremely powerful call to action, meaning people tend to conflate two things and your ability to like itemize things. That's why I was so fascinated in the beginning when we started talking was I feel like people's ultimate conflation or one of them anyway is they think any sort of pressure, any sort of aversive sensation to the dog is automatically torturous, pointless, isn't going to teach mm -hmm. anything, isn't going to help anything. When mm -hmm. we do know for sure, sometimes in life, you learn a lot from what you could classify as a negative experience. I get pulled over, mm -hmm. I get a really expensive ticket, I don't speed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there are benefits to this stuff. And and I and I don't hear lots of trainers even just touch on that, but they all say like science-based, science-based. That's probably one of the most studied scientific things that we know <laughs> of. Yep. If you feel something uncomfortable, it motivates you to make change. Mm -hmm. Talking talking of science, I was very disappointed when uh, we were talking to one of the professors, high-level professors here that have done publications for e-collars and stuff, and uh, they've done a lot of testing, and, and the result was dogs are stressed, tools should be banned, blah, blah, blah. All right, so there's only one, me and the professor, we asked her a few questions. We said, okay, can you give us a little bit about the, you know, the benchmark you've done on these tests? All right, there were all shepherds, X, Y, Z, between this and this age. They're all certified police dogs, and that many. Okay, but you do know that the dog is always a subject of who he was trained by. So can we please look into the data of the people that trained him? It's like, what data? Well, the data of the skills they possessed, the combination mm -hmm. of skills, the efficiency, and the experience of the trainer. So all that kind of stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, there's not no data, like zero yeah. Data. Just silence. Yeah. Just silence. Well, you just, you know, you're just assuming then that all these people that have trained these dogs do it the are same. Are talented. They all have these skills. They all have these efficiency. They, they, that's impossible. That's impossible. Yet everybody knows that a dog can only do things that you've taught him. He's not going to wake up and be a police dog. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what kind of a, a benchmark is that? So if you can't if you can't define 
what got this doc in the in, there in the first time in the first uh, uh, place what are you talking about like yeah I, I don't care if it it's stressed or not i mean we haven't heard the story behind it mm-hmm. you know and if you haven't well then what, what are you going to measure what is there to measure this you, yeah. you need to it's you need this it's you need the argument. data you need that yeah. data profile it so i profile the handler what does a handler look like who is very talented very skilled and very unlikely to get these negative side effects of his training. Mm-hmm. None, none. So, I mean, yeah. the world, cha- world champion in any sport without any pressure. I mean, it's protection sports I'm talking, and you know a little bit my world. I don't know any. There's, there's always, like, and the pre- by pressure, I mean discomfort, right? This, this, a little bit of discomfort mm-hmm. if you go too much in that way or too much that way. So there's always a little bit of discomfort involved. So I, I don't get it, really. So well, I read it, something... Just, I read something just the other day that said um, it, it was from a, a, a trainer who was pro banning of tools, and it was a like a series of posts. You can swipe through them on Instagram, and it was uh, instead of asking a force free trainer if they can achieve, and then it like left a blank right there, you know, without the use of tools, and then you swipe over. We should instead be asking why do we even glorify types of training and types of sport that require you know whatever torture, whatever you know whatever the, the pejoratives is for for training tools just Mm -hmm. to do this sport you know like basically Mm -hmm. saying why do we just not stop doing these sports altogether yeah so that as a question like uh well that was i just want to get your thoughts on their question you know they're they're like their their view of it is like well i mean if you know instead of instead of trying to compare me to this trainer who utilizes tools why do why do we even do these sports at all yeah, well, then we go back to why do you assume that dog training sports is is a cruelty or is an, uh, is using tools in a aversive way that we can avoid that by banning the sport? All right, let yeah. let's let them forget about the sport. You own a dog. Have you owned a dog without a leash day one till the day he died? That's a yes or no question. If the answer is yes, all right, now we have a debate. Then the person that has done this, all right, show me show me all the skills it took from you. To control this animal in any circumstance, in any level of drive, anywhere, and, and you got successful at it, okay? Without ever having the dog in discomfort, okay? Very unlikely. So then we go back to the scenario, why do we even have dogs? Can we live without dogs? Do dogs really do jobs today that we can't do without? Okay, then we have to look at police, narcotics. Can you not find narcotics without? Yes, you can find narcotics without dogs also, right? You can, you can find whole containers with drugs without dogs also. Mm-hmm. All right. So mm-hmm. do, you, do you need them at rights? Do you need them at special forces? Can't you just shoot Osama bin Laden instead of sending a dog? You see? So then everything actually goes back to the core question is, why are their dogs domesticated? Shouldn't they be free and back into the wild, set free? Like, instead of, let's reverse domestication. You create a dog, you deprive it from its freedom. Dog wants to control his freedom himself. By instinct, he says, I control where I want to go, but he can't. Okay, you, so you could also see that as mental abuse. You create the dog, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You put him in mm-hmm. a kennel, he wants to be free. All right, let him eat. He wants to eat, let him eat. He wants to engage, let him engage. Okay, so then stop talking about domestication. Then set it all free. All right, and, mm-hmm. and then you're right. Then I think you are right. But if you truly believe that you can own a dog, and never have this dog feel any discomfort. 
Oh my God! But we need to. We need yeah, you on your dreaming. podcast. Dreaming. We need yeah. you on a national TV. We need and teach to teach everyone how. Every exactly, and and <laughs> rightfully so because if that person uh -huh. exists, they need to have a platform, and that's why yeah. I invited Emanuela because for, don't forget I have a positive only class. But the first thing yep, I yep, asked yep. the person that collaborated with me doing this is that you have the lead in this class, but did you ever use a leash? Because if it's a leash to me, then it's then we go into that same discussion. Then to me, that's the same. Right. Never right. use a leash. I need to see this. Now I need to, so I need to find out how you got in this position with this type of high drive dog to do these many mm -hmm. things. All right. And that skill set is what we show in the positive only class. But mm -hmm. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not saying, hey, guys, never want to use tools, never want to use a leash, do this. It's actually mm -hmm. more of a behind the scene. What would it take for somebody? What kind of skills are you looking at then? Because using a tool is also a skill. All right. So let's yeah. forget about those skills. What would somebody do like Emanuela who, who can, achieve results without using mm -hmm. any tools then we need to know more about this and that's why i was so uh you know um, happy about this class that i could do this because it's truly one of my interests it's not just how to use tools better how to be more efficient it's also well then yeah what, what kind of natural skills also because tools are tools that people make so if there's yeah. no tools if there's not even a wall i mean not even a prop nothing what would you do? How would you move? What would you, how would you communicate with this dog? It just goes back mm -hmm. to this natural dogmanship almost. And mm -hmm. uh, it's really beautiful to see. And I think, uh, because then I ask you, Manuela, Manuela, this is, you're, you're a phenomenal trainer, truly one of the best in the world I have ever seen. What do you do if you get an aggressive dog and you're, uh, well, she doesn't have a kennel. She has like a, a place where they train dogs. Mm -hmm. Behavior, behavioral issues. Well, then I take a leash. Of course. It makes sense, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm, you don't know mm -hmm. this dog. This dog's all over the place. The dog might have issues. You take a leash. No problem. Yeah. So it's just something that you want to you experiment in, you want to do, you want to train, you want to see how much you can conquer with, without mm -hmm. using, have, using all the skills you have at the same time and get this outcome, great. But first of all, everybody's skills are different, right? We talked about that. Everybody's combination of skills are different. And also, the fact that she also uses a leash and... Although by the core she is a positive only trainer, but she does use a leash when leashes are needed. That just tells you that from the heart, this person cannot be better as wanting to have the best life for the dog, and she'll mm -hmm. also use a leash. So with these intentions, that means I know when she uses a leash, she's not going to hang the dog, she's not going to pull the dog, she's going to use it for safety, she's going to use it with skill, with subtlety, with with you know her a touch and her same energy she used for the positive only. It's just now mm -hmm. an add-on to help her, you know overcome this problem right mm -hmm. so and and then also uh, i would also ask like hey manuela but do you think you could do it with my dog for example in these circumstances and and i think it's that's a fair question because if you say i have conquered this and i've gotten my results then the next question is can you generalize that and with all dogs in any circumstance in any job mm -hmm. on any level and that's also a different story you see so you, you got to look at things for what they are and and mm -hmm. that is I can learn so much from somebody that can do all this, but this, it's not the, the holy grail, nor am I the holy grail, nor is anybody else. And it's your combination of unique skills that will define your talent and how qualified you are and how good you are with training dogs. Well, so, and, and one thing that I, this was a perfect kind of a pivot into what I wanted to ask you about, because something that you said earlier when you were quantifying, you know, what, what it takes to be successful you know, you, you said it, it wasn't the direct word, but you were saying like the, the, the ability to be resilient, the ability to adapt. If you can't do this with several dogs over and over again, really how useful are you, right? Outside of your yeah. one dog. Mm -hmm. So 
the one thing I wanted to ask you about, something that we've been talking about lately with, uh, mm-hmm. we did with Michael Ellis and Denise Fenzi, and then we did with a few friends. Uh, also, we got to take uh, another Samantha commercial Johnson. break. So ask yep. your, ask your okay. question. Yep. Samantha Johnson, Vinnie Soma, John Goddard. We all were talking about genetics in dogs. And I noticed one of the really interesting things that you brought up early on in the Healing Styles course with that puppy you were working with was, um, you know, you, you were telling, I think, a story of a dog where the dog itself was very talented. So we'll take a quick commercial break. But when we get back, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear your, you know, your thoughts on genetics, the role they play in dog training, talent levels that dogs do possess, and how that affects trainers who don't necessarily agree with it. There are trainers out there that don't think that that's a thing. You know, so we'll touch on that right after this break. All right, cool. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Dog Trainers Podcast. You know what's a great way to support this podcast? By becoming a sponsor today. With sponsoring the podcast, you'll be helping us make this show the best it can be and so much more. From hosting more local events, traveling throughout the country, and connecting with trainers from around the world. Ultimately getting you, the listener, more of the content that you love. For more information, please contact us at dogtrainerspodcast at gmail.com or visit our Instagram page at dogtrainerspodcast. Thank you guys, and now back to the show. Thanks again so much for listening, guys. We're vastly enjoying our interview with Nino Trowert from STSK9. This has been an absolute blast, and I know it's getting late for you out there, so we'll wrap it up pretty quick here, but I, I, I wanted to ask just before the break we were talking about Mm -hmm. the concept of genetics in dogs. I notice people who do more sport and who are more in the very, the very technical precise, like high level workflow of dog training and, and, and teachers of trainers, they seem to have a very strong understanding and respect for genetics of dogs. And something that you were saying in the healing styles, new edition video that I do recommend people buy. It was awesome. And there's a coupon code, uh, out right now. So, uh, was you were talking about talent levels in dogs. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I'm sure you're aware that there are people out there who don't think that genetics plays into a dog's behavior at all, that they think any dog with any host of issues currently can become the perfect daycare dog and yeah. you can fix this and you can fix that. So please give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a big topic, you know, genetics and dogs. Uh, it all starts with name any breed and in this and in this breed you can find the spectrum is so wide you can find the most you know unique specimen that can combine so many skills on the highest level when the pressure is on again like we've talked about this previously but on the other end you will find the opposite yet they are the same breed they are the same breed standards breeding standards so they look the same they should be the same but they're totally different so and that's how it is you know every animal just as any human has unique set of skills that they combine. And some dogs learn fast, some dogs do not. Some dogs are skittish. Skittish or fear is a nullifier of all talents in any circumstance. Same for people. Like if you're in fear, there's no way you can use all the complex skills you've ever learned about some topic or you've applied previously if you are in complete fear. It's you go into that fear and fight, fight and flight. So and that said, you know, the, the capacity to work with dogs, to develop these dogs, is highly depending on what pool of genetics you are working with. And mm-hmm. just as it goes for pet dogs, you know, there's, you know, the, the more dogs you have with certain traits, uh, you know, you're gonna get more of those and those, right? Because 
It's uh, I had actually had a great discussion with somebody who's also thinking about genetics. There was a time for working dogs that they truly believed that champion and champion and champion and champion is going to create the ultimate breed of dogs that are all mm. unbelievably talented and gifted to do this. And you know what happened? Champion and champion and champion, it all became mediocre. How do you mm. explain that? How do you explain mm. that champion and champion and cha all champions, great dogs, and the result, the offspring was mediocre. So hmm. how come the, 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 the backfall was so high that you went from champion status to, you know, unbelievably skilled uh, on any any area in any area to all mediocre letters so mm -hmm. and that's because traits if you do outcrosses for example there cannot be guaranteed because the whole genetic uh, pool of the mom and the whole genetic they're so far apart that when they mix you can have the worst traits and the worst traits of both right mm. and I mean, when they started doing line breeding they were focusing more on strengths and then of course you're going to get because the litter is usually more than one do dog right there's multiple dogs and then they would do they would select on the dogs that show the best traits yeah the best combination mm. of the strengths they already possessed and that's how they literally in the working dog uh, pool uh, genes they started to to see patterns and they started breeding with you know genetically superior dogs and 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 so on and yeah and, and that's how they created this ultimate working dog that could do so many things now you know it's incredible how it has evolved but it wasn't overnight it was decades and decades and it was a lot of experimenting also you have to understand so there's a lot of dogs that didn't make the cut and i think in, in pet breeds uh um, what they call show show was a big influence was it the right color was it the right size was this dog too big as i'm working dogs i didn't care about that too much if the dog was a little bit too big if the nose was too short all of that it was about the characteristics the traits they would possess to perform right so it's very performance based as were pets is very companion based so you would be looking at two opposites almost like we want calm the other one high energy right mm -hmm. we want beautiful so because beautiful is is nice you want beautiful things the other would go with but ugly but you know a beast performance you know game yeah uh, you see so and that's how things got separated a little bit and that that's why you have show line even though they're the same mm -hmm. breed and you have working line right and then you have for mm -hmm. example the knpv who does like an outcross with you know everything you can imagine and then you have fci who says no we don't recognize any other organizations only these then you have another organization like the nvbk for example if you're talking about malinois that you know recognize multiple organizations but do have a breed standard right mm -hmm. so there's so many things to examine like it really would take you a lot of time to to get into all this stuff so and it's very important because there are significant uh, significant things that you could recognize from from line to line to line like all these generations following up with some standards that they kept alive and it would be wiseful if some of the, you, you guys are looking for a dog that you do the research on what it is you are really looking for and what lines have these and then still you have to you know it's it's not a, it's not math exact math so you still you would have to see if that outcome is happening for you but at least those chances are higher than just go oh, i need this breed oh where are the malinois breeders where are the german shepherd breeders where are the xyz breeders no you really have to do your due diligence i'd say and and really do research 
and talk to the breeders and see you know what they have found very important to to use as assets in their program and stuff like that so and that's how you create a match because matchmaking is hugely underestimated especially mm. for pet dog owners mm-hmm. what do you want like what who are you from the inside and what kind of match are you looking for in that energy transfer what do you mm-hmm. want from a dog and what can this dog expect from you and your energy and what you bring because you right. have to elevate this dog to become the best pet best possible pet but then mm-hmm. also how can this pet become a plus in your life and not a stress factor and not a nuisance yeah so and and this matchmaking is hugely underestimated because of lack and knowledge of genes of traits of characteristics and within the breed also understanding that you can have a jack russell with mm-hmm. who is eligible for igp and you can have the sweetest mm-hmm. jack russell be in the perfect family a kid dog you know anything you can imagine even though they're the same breed so so how do you go about matching these selecting these and and that's where you know uh people like us for for example come in and who who do the work who live and think about dogs and matches and people and training day in day out they we breed it we do it that's what you know the worst thing that can happen is everybody maybe had this feeling is buy a dog and then find out it wasn't it was not a match for you for yeah. whatever reason and some people deny it of course because once it goes into the family people get attached to the animal mm-hmm. but it might have traits that so go completely against what you've expected maybe what you wanted right. etc and then people will say you know i committed to this so i'm just going to keep on doing this There's stubbornness almost where they mm-hmm. actually know this dog could have a better life with the right person but i am committed and i'm not going to break i'm not going to tap i'm going to keep doing this make the best out of it spend thousands of dollars to make it happen and and actually really know deep down if they were true to themselves that it was a mismatch. So then the question becomes an ethical question. Can you sell a dog or rehome a dog? But of course, without bringing him to the shelter. So what what is possible in that pet world of mismatches? I think for working dogs, it's pretty obvious. They sell dogs the whole time, right? Because they're mm-hmm. selected on traits and performances and level of training. It's like anybody wants a dog that can heal and that can bite. And yes, me. So there, this, mm-hmm. you know, there's people. There's a market for this, the and market, it's not unusual. Yeah. It's not unusual that working dogs move from home to home. But as in pet dogs, uh, that's not so usual. But there's the most yeah. stress. There, there's the most you know things going wrong and happening. That that's why there's also you know a lot of e-color use within the pet community because you gotta fix things the whole time. We gotta fix this. Mm-hmm. We gotta fix this. And as in yep. working dogs, ideally, I'd say ideally, you're more in the creation. You're more into development and and you know talent uh, development. As in, for pets, it's usually, how can we fix this so this is not a problem anymore? We need to fix problems yes. here. And, and I think that that's the purpose of having a dog is always finding a match, actually, so both of you have a better life, right? Yes. He has a better life, the dog has a better life, because you facilitate him with things that he really loves, loves and enjoys. And mm-hmm. you get a better life because what he enjoys is giving you also pleasure in your life. And... And that's a hard that's a hard search. That's a hard, th- things you got to think about. Like, what do you really want from a dog? Ask yourself these questions. Except for companionship or your your uh, spouse or your kids you want a dog. You, who's taking care of this dog? That's yeah. the first match we need, right? And well, you know, I'm I'm telling you right now, man. I've been enjoying your healing course. I'm going to be going through all of them. I'm really looking forward to the food only course. I'm just I'm curious to what you guys work on. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now. 
I, and I'm sure everybody else, would buy the shit out of an online course where you go through and systematize. Let's figure out what type of dog you should get and shouldn't get. Yeah, Let me walk you through how to get the right dog for yourself. Not necessarily just from a breeder. If you're going to a shelter, here are some basic, you know, understandings of how to read simple, you know, that is something that not only do I think people would benefit from innumerably, I think it would do a lot of good Mm -hmm. for the whole tool, band tool argument, and I'll explain how in a second. But that I would be very fascinated. And I'd love to talk to you more with that, you know, when we can in the future. But the reason I think that would be so beneficial for the argument pro con tool thing, right, is I can't tell you how many trainers, if they do overuse a tool, and I don't mean overuse as in blast a dog too hard, because that's obviously a different story. Overuse as in maybe they use a tool for a dog that just didn't need it, a family that didn't need it, or a family doesn't know how to use it, or, you know, XYZ is trainers aren't always comfortable telling owners this just may not be the right dog for you yeah so we can kind of sort of work around it and like make it happen to an extent Mm -hmm. you can squeeze Mm -hmm. the round peg into the square hole if you really want to (laughs) or or it's going to be better for all of you if we just let's be realistic here let's be reasonable here Mm -hmm. but that's something that i can't tell you or maybe you know already how many pet trainers struggle with either they're not confident enough to say it or they just don't believe it to be true you should totally look into something like and if i could and if i could add something to that to this conversation so uh, the other day i was shooting the shit with another dog trainer friend and i said why do they always talk about genetics of uh we we inadvertently talk about the genetics of dogs without talking about genetics of humans right and so Mm kind of like when we talk about character traits and personality traits and temperament traits of a human Mm -hmm. like yeah. Like a lot of people barely know themselves, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, and they're still, absolutely. they're still trying to figure that out. And so you'll see people yeah. who don't have a temperament to work with a certain type of dog, but they want it because it looks nice or it's flashy or it's a status symbol or whatever it is. But and, that's why Nino should make. A well, totally. And quit. all I wanted to add yeah. was, uh, there's, it has to be a self-reflection too, right? Cause people could say, I want this type of dog and I might live this mm-hmm. type of lifestyle, but do you know who you are? Like, what about the genetics well, of I the think- human compared to the genetics of the dog you know the first thing that we talked about the talent assessment that you talked about Mm. that was yeah what talents would you need to have a dog like this or what you know or profiles and that was and that was actually something we we had talked about years ago um Mm -hmm. how do how do we create canine profiles and owner profiles and stuff like that so anyways that's this is an idea yeah yeah what i well i like to add on that topic is the outside inside in, right? I'll explain that really briefly, is when you have some kind of hero or some, somebody you look up to, what happens mm-hmm. is you look at them and you say, how can I become like them? If you see mm-hmm. a champion as that's what I want to achieve, then you go, who is the best? What's his name? How can I become like him? So then you start you know, looking at some of his traits probably, yes, right? You're going to look at, okay, what does he do? Mm-hmm. When does he wake up? How does he train these dogs? How, 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 how? So then I can get these skills and I can be like him. Right, so mm-hmm. that's what's called observation imitation, and it's called mm-hmm. outside inside. You want to project it to you, so you can become him. But mm-hmm. it's more like you just said, Brent. It's actually looking into understanding first what talents are, what skills are, and then looking mm-hmm. to the from the inside, what traits do I have, mm-hmm. and what combination can I develop here, and what time frame? Because the speed of learning is also an indication of talent, right? So if it takes you twenty years. Right, that's mm-hmm. that's not a great uh, indication. So then you will go more into competency than talent, right? So both mm-hmm. are very close to each other, 
but there are some distinctions. So, mm -hmm. and then from the inside out, that's usually how you build self-reflection, self-development is a big part of that. And that's mm -hmm. how you then can strengthen what you're already good at, right? Because it's no use that you, sit, you tell somebody, you see that champion, he has these traits and he's so good at that. Now that's what you're gonna do all day, every day. Same for your dog, all day, every day. That's gonna be an energy drain, boom, you're gonna go down mm -hmm. in no time, right? So it has to come from the inside. It has mm -hmm. to come, and you could have that as a as an ultimate goal, as a as an idol, maybe even. But you can't just do the copy paste stuff. If you only go to the how 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 how, you will be very disappointed really fast, yeah. because yeah. these these skills that he is portraying or she is portraying are a combination that first you don't comprehend, so you only see the tangibles maybe, and also the, and like you said, secondly, is you need to understand your your inner self first and how that is mm -hmm. congruent to the goal that you want to achieve. Yes. Because let's say, for example, you don't even want to touch a tool, but you do want this title. You know, you know, uh, how is that congruent with that result? And, and what are the chances, stuff like that? So there's also things as harsh truths. And you got to be honest that if you want to achieve certain things, you're going to have to do certain things. Are you willing mm -hmm. to do these? And mm -hmm. actually having a conversation like this, doing an assessment like this, a talent assessment, which is also what we do with new trainers in the MVP, their dog and mm -hmm. the trainers, we do a talent assessment. And then we see their self-assessment on how they portray themselves throughout all the mm -hmm. skills and their dog. And mm -hmm. how they see this is going to give us a clear vision how that is congruent to the goals they have and what needs to be done. And how we're going to keep the energy high because energy keeping that high is what matters the most it's better that somebody is in high energy but never gets a world title but enjoyed the dog's life from day one till the day he died than somebody in pursuit and frustrated because he always felt short and he was putting in the reps he was putting in the time he was being consistent yep. remember he was being yep. disciplined but he did not able to combine the skills and the dog did not find the right skills either. So maybe the dog also was not talented enough and it all went to, to you know, down the drain. So, and, and that frustration is not what you want. You want people to, to keep growing, to keep doing stuff. And then they'll, maybe they'll take another dog. Who knows if, yeah, if right. they understand, hey, maybe not this dog, but the problem is most people think if I could do it again, well, this time it will be better, right? Mm -hmm. And then they make mm -hmm. the same mistakes and then they have the same outcome. So, you know, it's, it's not because you switch dogs that it's always going to be better. Always look at your own skill set and how to assess that. And I was very surprised how low the average uh, person can assess their skills. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's really hard because they don't know what to look at. And I ask it all the time at my seminars and workshops and lectures that I do. What skills are you looking for, guys? And I always mm -hmm. hear the same things. Usually it's patience. Patience is an attitude. It's not a skill. Okay, yep. so what true skill then are you looking for? And it's hard to define. So if it's hard to define, then I'm wondering, well, then, of course, it's hard to develop. Mm -hmm. Because if I would ask you tomorrow, what would it take to be a track and field runner? I can go all day. Really, mm -hmm. I can break it into detail. I, it's, it's very clear to me what that pathway would look like. But mm -hmm. if you don't have any clarity on what it would take for you to be an efficient dog trainer, mm -hmm. well, then it's all guesswork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you focus you on. You know, the what's dog. the next time you're going to find yourself in the states? Um, that's a good question. Um, Specifically, the West Coast, or or let us know. Let us let <laughs> yeah. us know when yeah. you get a chance. I, yeah. I was I was um, aiming for uh, I was aiming for uh, March, but it's probably going to be more April. 
probably. That's so mm. yeah, so interesting. Okay, let us know, man. We'd love to come out and see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. One question: Are you coming to California? Yeah, that's the point. Oh, yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, California. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Love that. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. One question that we like to ask to kind of help people, you know, close out and, and kind of give a nugget of information to the newer trainers out there is if we would look at dog training like an art, right? Like like this mm-hmm. this such a such a it's an art an form. overarching thing with so many mini skills in it. What would be a piece of advice? What would be a piece of knowledge that you would want to give an up and coming dog trainer? It's a great question. It's a great question. Also, very depending on who I am talking to. Right. So, an, right. Um, I would say that the energy, which is the passion, right, it's got to be right. So, what what gives you energy in training a dog? That's what I want to find out. What mm-hmm. what is it that that you makes you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it is it a performance that you see, imagining yourself that this could happen with this dog, and and even visualizing that give me energy to achieve that. Well, that's mm-hmm. a great way because the passion is what, what I told you is what fuels your skills and talent. So yeah. that's what I want to know first, right? Because I can be very technical about, okay, you got to do this. You got I prioritize this exactly, but it doesn't make any sense if the other areas are lacking, right? So mm-hmm. I, I would really like to know what they're after. And then based on that answer, we would we would find out what is possible and how we can accommodate and facilitate this development so mm-hmm. because you know some upcoming dog trainer could be hey i want to be the best behaviorist uh, ever better mm-hmm. than caesar milan somebody could say mm-hmm. i want to win the world championship somebody could say i want to be law enforcement i want to catch bad guys with this dog somebody could say special mm-hmm. forces i mean there's such a variety and all of them have different skills mm-hmm. right so i would first need to assess then what they want the energy levels what the kind of dog etc so you know, it would best to be always personalized than generalized. Because mm-hmm. then if I, if I talk about, you know, if I go into, into my world, because then I would say, of course, for me, for example, is the flow, dynamics, sinking, and I would go straight into this. But that wouldn't mm-hmm. be fair for the people that are only interested in behavior modification, for example, and say, hey, that's right. what I want to do. I, I want to help people with aggressive dogs. I want to help people with, uh, you know, dogs that pull or, you know, have become trouble in life. And I can see, so it would be a different type of advice then. So, and I think it also this this is a really good question because it also defines the audience because mm-hmm. some people want the behavior modification, which is based on a lot of cognitive skills, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no way you can go into any situation and then it would take you decades of experience before you can talk mm-hmm. about it. So you would be very cognitive about what is possible, hypothetical, right? What how mm-hmm. animals behave, how they act, what you could do, possibilities, as in performance. That's going to be very actively you being involved in the dog training. And I'll give you an mm-hmm. example. I mean, if you see Caesar Milan, he's done some action. But if you truly uh, define what action that is, there's nothing that you would say, I, I see myself working 20 years to hold that leash the way Caesar Milan just did. No, mm-hmm. nobody thinks that. It's, it's more of a, how did he assess the situation? How did he find the solution? It's very Timing, cognitive. Oh, yeah. Yes, time. Yeah. So, and he would find uh, also the circumstances for the dog. If they mm-hmm. change a little bit here, we can find results. But the performance side is so different. It would be you and the dog. You got a puppy. It's day one. Get out of bed. Let's start moving. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. When are you going to use mm-hmm. that marker? What food are you going to use? You see, so very purpose-driven. As yeah. on the other side, very solution-driven. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a whole different training. Now, here is where the problem starts to exist is when they want and their performance and live with the dog and in peace as a family mm-hmm. dog, mm-hmm. pet dog. Mm-hmm. And that's where the conflict starts to go. Oh, they told me that I could not correct the dog. For example, the puppy, which is right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then he becomes a nuisance in the house. I can't live with this dog. Mm-hmm. What do I do, right? Okay, in the performance, they told me, you know, how to use a leash or maybe how to use the food. So maybe I can use the food at home, but then the dog's not hungry anymore at home because mm-hmm. he just trained. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't listen, but no dog listens at that age. But yeah. they see listening as a part of being a house dog. You have to listen, right? And and this whole conflict of going back and forth, what I this then becomes a, a shit show, basically, because you won't have the performance and you won't have a great house dog. You're somewhere in the middle, which makes you go into only fixing stuff, for example. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And, yeah. So, and then it's not about true skill development anymore for the dog, nor for you. So some things do have to be, although I have a very open mind, do have to be in, inside a certain uh, box or realm of what it is you want to do here and how, yeah. what are your best chances are to get this and how does that go along with the other side of the story, which is you want to live with that dog inside the house, right? Mm-hmm. You want a very energetic dog because you're an energetic person, but it also needs to live with you. But how do you manage this energy? And in that sense, to me, a dog trainer is an energy master. Because nice. if you can master the energy, you you basically have so much control over what the action, how it takes place, what happens when. Mm-hmm. But this is long-term vision. Do not expect you to master a puppy's energy. How are you going to master mm-hmm. a puppy's energy? He wakes up and he's like, Bing. all right, <laughs> it's, yeah, to go. it's showtime. <laughs> So even whatever breed, all those puppies should be alive. And, and that's what you love about dogs is their energy, their activity and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what most people like. And, and, and the, the question then is how do you work with that energy? I just had a client. He sent me videos. This Malinois is eating up his legs. Like, and he's like, what do I do? Of course, from my perspective, I see, oh, look at that energy of this dog. If you could just channel mm-hmm. that into what he's supposed to do, but then he doesn't have the skill to do this. So he says, help me, help me, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, well, maybe he doesn't live too far away. So maybe you should come down and, and we'll check this because, yeah, I think uh, talking about a mismatch, yeah, this could be a possible mismatch. So the, right, the expectations yeah. of having a dog in the house and the fact he has so much capacity in this dog but doesn't know how to utilize it how to use it and the short-term vision of him is how do i get through the day he he doesn't Mm -hmm. think about oh next year my life's going to be so much fun if the dog knows his everything you know he doesn't have it so he's thinking about man i'm getting eaten alive here every day these little milk teeth uh, Mm -hmm. and he's, he's eating the kids help me help me and that's, that's where we go into pet training, you see? So now we have a performance dog who is bred for performances and purpose and utilization of his skill, but unskilled in a pet environment with family becoming a problem. You see it every day, right? Happens all the time. That's, that's <laughs> half yeah. our, half our so business. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This Malibu has West. been a genuine pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of yeah. your evening. Yeah, and, most uh, welcome. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll close it out, but but man, this has been a blast. I'd love to talk with you more when we, you know, when there's more time, and and for sure, do let us know when you come to yeah. the U.S. and California, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll come out and visit for sure. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Well, again, we want to thank you so much, Nino, for jumping on. Uh, those thank of you again you. who are just listening to this and are uh, and and are finishing up this episode, you guys can find him on Instagram, YouTube, mm-hmm. TikTok. Uh, you can also find him online uh, mm-hmm. at stsk9.com. 
com and his handle on all the platforms are stsk9 uh, what does sts stand for real quick before we sign off it's specialized training system beautiful so and all the techniques combined that's what is this what the system is is the, uh-huh. the skills all the skills that we apply that's what makes the system so it's specialized training because it's for a certain purpose that you want is mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. control that high energy that yep. energy exchange right the the precision the speed so the mm-hmm. best things you you can have and that takes the skill and these skills is what we like to teach people i love that yeah me and mariana are currently going through his catalog and so far very impressed lots of knowledge and information if you guys couldn't tell from this interview go ahead and check them out at sdsk9.com and check out what programs he has to offer um again again if you also like this episode guys don't forget to hit subscribe and review this episode uh and we look forward to seeing you guys in the next one uh we should be having a couple special guests coming up very soon uh so stick around and check in on our uh, notifications to see who it is uh thank you again Nina. We really appreciate you. My name's Brent. That other guy is Mariano Alvarez, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode and can't wait to be back with you guys. Be sure to follow us at Dog Trainers Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to punch the hell out of that subscribe button and leave us a review. Remember guys, this is your podcast. You're the best listeners in the world and we'll see you next time.